Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Red Sox spring training podcast. Just thinking about that on the fly. We're not going to call it a hot stove anymore because we never even lit the damn stove to begin with. Uh, So uh, lots to get into. Jorge Soler signs with the Giants on a three-year $42 million deal. That's a $14 million average annual value. Too steep for the Red Sox, apparently. Uh, Plenty to say on that. We will talk some Kenley Jansen rumors and what seems to be the scenario for him for 2024. Alex Cora, Craig Breslow met with the media today. We will go through some quotes from them. It's not pretty, folks, and that's what we're going to be getting into this episode I am Terry Cushman, and I am joined tonight by Cody Paulson, who is over a serious case of vertigo. Apparently, isn't that wasn't that the case? Yeah, I had the spins pretty bad. Uh, you know, I'd like to be able to say there was you know so much action on the stove, so many moves the Red Sox were making that I just couldn't keep up. But uh, no, it was weird. I was playing golf over the weekend a couple of weekends ago, and all of a sudden, it just felt like I was the drunkest person on the planet. I was stumbling. I couldn't look down. Um, thankfully, my buddies drove me home. I uh, ended up going to the doctor. You know, They did uh, a couple of vertigo tests, and my eyes were spinning like crazy. And so you know, it was something I was battling there for a little while. Um, the whole next week, it, every day, again, just felt inebriated, which was very strange. You know, normally I have a pretty good sense of balance and I was wobbling. Um, so, you know, grateful to, to have that knock on wood behind me to a certain capacity. Um, you know, but it, it was weird, you know, like no event kind of triggered it. Like I didn't get like hit on the head. I didn't fall or anything like that. So that, that part was kind of crazy, but happy to be back. Happy to be talking uh, about all these other moves that other teams are making and, you know, all of the things that just keep circling the drain with the Red Sox. But, uh, how are you doing, Terry? Not doing too bad. I um, I don't think I told you guys this in the war room, but uh, I had two tournaments in Virginia Beach this weekend, and I won them both. <laughs> so, hey, congratulations, man. That's wonderful. Yeah, I'd only had 11 career wins prior to that, and uh, so to win two in one weekend was pretty insane. One of them was my first playoff match and my in the first win of the weekend. I, I had the guy who was widely regarded to be the number one player in the East Coast, top five nationally. Granted, I did have some hot cards, and that helps when you're playing that game. But, yeah, so dream weekend for me anyway. Um, but anyway, let's uh, let's get into some sadder stuff. So I think all of us we're kind of hoping maybe maybe some of these guys would just kind of land in the Red Sox lap and then Craig Breslow would strike, make a kind of an unforeseen move. I mean, everybody's reporting right now. Everybody is headed to spring training. You have some notable free agents, Montgomery and Snell still unsigned. Scott Boris, both of their agents can't seem to find a, a suitable deal for them and at this point the teams basically have all the leverage Jorge Soler was one of those he was someone I coveted from the very beginning of this offseason and just that power you know potentially 
you know, just golfing baseballs over the green monster. We haven't had a right-handed bat like that since Mookie Betts was traded. And frustrating, frustrating to see him land with the Giants, who seem to have salvaged a, a pretty decent winter for themselves. They got that other Japanese outfielder. Um, and I, I think they made a couple of uh, at least one uh, pitching move, and now they have Soler. So um, quietly putting together a decent uh, offseason. But w- what are your thoughts on Soler? We've seen the model of a one- or two-year kind of rental or swings that are tailor-made for Fenway work handover fix, right? You got guys like Jason Bay, Adrian Beltre, Cody Ross, Johnny Gomes. You know, Victor Martinez obviously was a switch hitter, but some of these short-term deals that had high impacts, somewhat career years, and then they went to go on and sign a, a major deal that, you know, maybe we should have signed Beltre or, you know, let go Jason Bay, which wasn't as big of a deal. And it seemed like Soler was going to be the next in what was a very exciting line of players. Um I think the thing that irritates Red Sox Nation the most and definitely irritates me is what he ended up signing with with San Francisco, a place that had struggled to sign free agents this offseason, right? A place that had been labeled unattractive to free agents, right? They were they were struggling to sell players on the Bay Area. And three for 42 is not out of the realm of possibilities, right? You know, it. I think it boils down to we were just getting – gaslit or straight up lied to by this front office and by this organization and ownership group where they're saying, oh, we need to dump salary. We need to restructure. We need to be creative. We got to get in the trade market so that we can actively pursue the free agents that we want to pursue. And that's just clearly not the case, right? Like if you can't pony up three and 42, which is very similar to those three and 39 deals that Napoli and Victorino got way back when, then I don't know what players you're anticipating to to play, right? You know, we're going to get into some comments that Breslow and Cora made later, and we'll circle back to this. But three for 42 is is just the going rate for Major League talent at this point in time. We've dumped a lot of salary. Uh, we're well under the luxury cap threshold. So there's really no argument to be made unless you're saying, oh, we don't want to be committed to a player into his third year. But even then, you got to have nine players on the field at a time. You have to have 26 dudes on the roster. And players are looking for longer deals, right? Um, Terry, I think you mentioned it. We were kind of hoping as, you know, the offseason dwindled down, the power balance kind of shifted back towards the team could something kind of fall into our lap right because it always just seemed like we were checking in on or had interest in or you know we're meeting with or you know came down to the wire to all of these different euphemisms for what the red sox were doing or you know kept tabs on and what really ended up happening with solaire was we weren't meaningfully in the discussion i thought it was down to two teams at one point and we were one of them so either we're just a team that they like to dangle in there for for others um, organizations to pony up a little bit more money or I don't really know what's going on. I think this is becoming one of the more, more bizarre off seasons. It's obviously one of the more frustrating and disappointing off seasons, but you know, Soler is a guy that would have been tailor made for Fenway park. Um, you know, we always see those heat maps or those charts that overlay, you know, 2023 stats if they played in Fenway park. Right. I think we did it with Adam Duvall the year before last and, and Soler was another hot choice for that one. And it looks like these guys actually murder the ball at Fenway Park. And, you know, 
prior to that freak wrist action for, or sorry, freak wrist injury for Duvall. That was a little bit difficult there. Duvall was smashing, right? He was hitting a ball all over the yard, hitting doubles, hitting home runs, and really, you know, was kind of carrying the team through the first part of the season. And, you know, um, we kind of talked about how it was difficult to foresee a path to a successful offseason or, you know, an offseason that really made us competitive in the division or the wild card. And, you know, Solaire kind of seemed like that, I don't want to say crucial domino to fall uh, to help us out, but he, he really was a, a pretty important cog as we are a lefty heavy lineup. And, you know, as a right-handed bat, a power bat, no less, uh, you know, we had to replace that Turner production somewhere and it's becoming increasingly difficult to find that. So again, Solaire, a guy I coveted a lot, um, two time world series champion, a lot of people forget he was leading off for the Cubs, uh, you know, at certain points in the 2016 offseason. Hit 400 in that World Series, only played two games, so tiny sample size. But selectively, you know, he, he gave them what they needed in the in the spots, you know, where they put him. And uh, and then, of course, five years later with the Atlanta Braves, he was a midseason acquisition and then became the world series MVP. He was, let's see, uh, six for 20 in that world series with three home runs hit 300 on base, just under, uh, 400. And when I look at a guy like Solaire, like I said, he's that right-handed bat and you need a guy to slot in between Devers and Casas. And who's that going to be? Trevor Story? Is that who it's going to be? Is he going to protect Rafi Devers? Is is Devers going to get anything to hit at all if Trevor Story is batting behind him? I think they would gladly walk Rafi Devers with Trevor Story coming up to the plate, knowing that he's a strikeout machine. Um, another guy possibly they could slot in there, Tyler O'Neill. I'm the most pessimistic guy on this crew when it comes to Tyler O'Neill. I don't think he's going to pull his weight, you know, productively at the plate. And I, I don't think you're going to get much more than 90 to 100 games from him just based on his injury history. Dude had back problems last year. That's pretty concerning. And so it's frustrating. You could have got a guy in between Devers and Casas for $14 million. Here's the other frustrating thing. He's 31 years old. 31 years old. That's a very tradable contract if some of your young kids emerge. If we're fortunate enough to keep Jaron Duran at this point, and he he's productive, and then Abreu's productive, you know, you you have the luxury of trading a guy like Soler in a year or two. I it's just so when I I. When, it was actually before I went to bed last night. Most of you probably saw it when you woke up this morning. It was a late-breaking story last night that he had signed with the Giants, but it was like that was my that was my doomsday. Like this is it. This roster is what we have. Your best case is Adam Duvall, and that doesn't excite me. He's probably going to get hurt too. I know the wrist thing was unlucky, but it's always something. It's always something. If it wouldn't have been that, it might have been something else. And 
when he came back and seemed to kind of get some momentum going, he disappeared again at the plate. So he's not a guy I, I look at as, you know, someone that's going to move the needle at all. And when I was talking about the Giants having a decent offseason, they added Jordan Hicks, who presumably will be a starter. Uh, Jung-Hoo Lee was the outfielder. I He might be Korean. I, don't, don't quote me, though. And then Robbie Ray, who I think will be ready mid-season or so. If the Giants are in playoff uh, contention, he'll he'll definitely be a factor going down the stretch and won't have any innings concerns because the season won't be long enough at that point. So not a bad offseason for the Giants. Any final thoughts on Solaire? No, I mean, you know, like you like you mentioned, right? The Giants quietly put together a very tidy offseason. You hope for the sake of baseball that Robbie Ray has a bounce back season. You never like to have players kind of fall off a cliff. Um, you know, Alex Manoa, one and the same, but it's 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 a bummer, right? It seemed like a a perfect fit, a natural fit. He wasn't looking for a long-term deal, you know, these six, eight, ten, twelve year deals um that have kind of been floating around. Major League Baseball, he, he wanted a two to three, maybe a four-year deal if he could find it. And that all seemed very palatable, very digestible. And at $42 million, I mean, it's it's a no-brainer deal for the Giants. And, uh, you know, good for them. Hopefully it works out. The other kind of big story uh, of, of the last several hours, it doesn't seem like the Red Sox are going to be able to move Kenley Jansen. And one of the big sticking points is the salary. Which is kind of, kind of perplexing to me because you know, sixteen million for one year. You think a team would be happy to absorb that, where it's very short term, but apparently that doesn't seem to be the case right now. Now, one thing to consider going forward here is Tommy John season is March through May, roughly. Players will have it later on, but the I, I would say seventy percent of all the surgeries that happen you know it's march through may you're going to have some guys reporting to camp that might have had some concerns last september and hoping maybe the winter and a little bit of rehab might might get them back in shape but it's not always the case and then they have to have surgery chris sale was one of those guys for instance which is insane because with that delivery, I mean, there's no way. I mean, if you got any type of tear, it's going to have to get fixed, that type of thing. David Price had a magic elbow, so he's one of the exceptions. But, but yeah, so we'll see. And if some of those are back-end relievers, maybe the market for Jansen heats up. But this is one thing that kind of pisses me off about it as well. Two things kind of piss me off. Number one, the Red Sox just didn't, they just don't seem to be able to get it done. I don't know, maybe Breslow's negotiating skills just aren't, you know, as smooth as a guy like Epstein or even Ben Sherrington. It just, they, there's just a failure to execute on many levels. And it doesn't necessarily apply to just trades. It could be free agents. It, it could be a lot of things. And so you got that going on. The other thing that kind of pisses me off is I'm fairly certain this would be an Alex Verdugo type trade. I don't think they're looking to target major league ready players. 
it doesn't seem like he's going to fetch a, a top five prospect in a system. Um, so uh, nobody's going to be dealing. Nobody that wants to acquire Jansen is going to be dealing from strength. They're not trying to weaken their team someplace else. So I really think the Red Sox are just, they're just literally going to weaken the major league roster by doing that to try to fortify the farm. And I'm just so tired of that. I mean, that hasn't worked out well previously. So what are your thoughts on Jansen? The reports that come out that says we are unwilling to pick up any of the salary going with Jansen really limits my expectations on what could be coming back. Right. Um, you know, you're essentially trying to offload a player who's an elite level closer, obviously had a, had a very good season last year at $16 million. But I think they're just trying to thread the needle too much with all of the deals that they're doing. Right. You have a guy in Breslow who I think is probably a little bit afraid of, getting look like he's getting taken advantage of for taking the woodshed, right? You know, the Chris sale for Vaughn Grissom trade, I think, you know, you could, you could spin both sides of it, right? Atlanta has the flexibility to take on a player like Chris sale and, and kind of take that risk. Vaughn Grissom's a good prospect coming back right in a bad play second base. You know, there's, there's an obvious need for us there. And, you know, it was kind of like a win-win, a little bit savvy maneuver there. Um, and so, you know, we gave Breslow some flowers there. And I think, with the limited flexibility that this ownership group is given the front office to make maneuvers, they've got to be so creative and they've got to find kind of the right avenues, the right streets to go down and the right avenues and the other streets to go down after that, that is dang near impossible to do so. Right. And so unless you're getting blown away, like you mentioned, Derry, with either major league ready prospects or major league level players that are also willing to accept the salary uh, dump of 16 million. I, I, I just don't see what teams are going to be willing to do that at this point in time. Right. You know, most lineups and most rosters are pretty full. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, Tommy John season, March through May, things might be a little bit different. You know, do they look into a Schreiber or Martin kind of package as well? Right. There is some talk and scuttlebutt about trying to get those guys involved in, in shipping out as well. And then, it really just makes you wonder what the direction of this organization is, right? You know, uh, to make a bad analogy, it's kind of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe at this point, right? Like we had the first five phases that led up to Thanos and the Avengers Endgame, and the, the plan was clear. It was easy to see the development was there, the character development, the player development. You know, you make the big-time trades and big-time signings. Um, you create the Avengers, whatever. You go win championships, right? And you could see the path, you could see the goal, you could see the results. And, and now we're kind of in this multiverse, right? Which which version of the Red Sox are we going to be? Are we going to be the contenders, the ones that the front office says that they're focused on winning? Or are we going to be this product on the field that's not good and you have no idea what's happening? You're like, wait, is that person alive? Where did they come from? What is, you know, who's the villain now? I thought that villain was gone. Now they're back. And there's no clear path, right? There's no clear timeline. There's no clear goals. There's no clear vision. And we have no idea what we're doing. We're just aimlessly playing baseball games aimlessly following moves that may or may not affect the major league roster. And we have nothing to like hold out for nothing to have hope for nothing to look forward to because we don't know how long we're in for this for. Right. And like, I don't want to call myself the Bluminati, but I was definitely pro bloom in the sense that we had sunk three to four years into him 
to theoretically see what this plan was. And we got rid of him to do the same thing with no benefit, right? We got rid of him before his plan could come together. So then we just wasted those four years of uh, futility for literally nothing. It got us nothing, right? Now, yes, the the farm system is better, sure, right? I don't want to bet on prospects. It is such a fool's errand to do that because we have no idea, right? Even the scouts have no idea. The top 100 has a handful of players that make an impact year over year, and then we do this rinse and repeat. And so whether it be Kenley, whether it be Martin, whether it be Shriver, whether it be any of the major league talent that we have, I just have I have no faith at this point in time, which is a really, really uh, foreign place for me to be going into the uh, to the season. Normally, by this time, I have the itch for spring training. I can't wait for pitchers and catchers to report. I can't wait to you know get the season going, and and it's kind of demoralizing. Last year, I, I wasn't satisfied with the roster, and and I pretty early declared that I felt this would be a last place team again. And the weird thing, but the thing about it was, was you knew it was complete. You knew that this was it. This was what we were going to go to battle with. Despite my dissatisfaction coming into this spring training, it's a very incomplete roster. Like there are moves to be made and there are solutions out there. There's one less now, now that Soler is signed. There's solutions out there. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't know that today was like the media day for spring training. I knew they were all reporting this week. That's how like disengaged I am with where we're at right now. I I just... It's so there's no direction here. A reporter, his name's Scott Neville, and I forget which publication he writes for, but he had an interesting quote. He said that the Red Sox have essentially given given mixed signals, and you know have kind of given contradictory statements going in in different directions. But the one thing that is clear by their actions is that they're punting on the season, basically, by not adding and by their willingness to trade guys like Jaron Duran, Kenley Jansen, and, and so on and so forth. And that's the frustrating thing. You know, we were a little frustrated to some degree that Bloom wouldn't blow it up the last two trade deadlines, knowing that we weren't really going to contend. And now here's Breslow blowing it up before the season even starts. (laughs) It's like, it's, it's so frustrating. You know, they, they failed to control the trade market. They failed to control free agency they failed to control the the narrative with the media and then they failed just with their own narratives in general like it's just a failure of epic proportions on on twitter earlier i uh i had a tweet we were discussing it before it wasn't really a tweet i i screenshotted something from mlb network 
Here's the notable acquisitions. Lucas Giolito, Greg Weissert, Von Grissom, and Tyler O'Neill. Those are your major acquisitions. Here's what you lost. Chris Sale, James Paxton, Corey Kluber, Justin Turner, Adam Duvall, and Alex Verdugo. That's a lot. You didn't adequately replace what you lost. You didn't even come close to it. I think Giolito and Sale, that's a lateral move. I, I think Giolito has a little bit more upside, but um, but Justin Turner, major contributor. Alex Verdugo, love him or hate him, contributed quite a bit, especially in the first half last year, which is when we were competitive, when there was a, a you know, just a glimmer of hope. So it, it's just, it's frustrating, you know, seeing how it's it's all played out like it's it's a ship just aimlessly adrift in the ocean and who knows where it's gonna end up that's what it is let's get into some uh quotes here um so kind of one from breslow that really um i don't know it just aggravates me more he says, uh, this was a quote today uh, when he met with the media. He says, uh, the Red Sox keep looking for ways to improve in short and long term, but acknowledges we can appreciate that things haven't come together in maybe a way that I anticipated. So he's kind of half-ass admitting, yep, I, th- I, I might have botched it a little bit. That's what I get from that. He had another quote uh, down somewhere. I probably should have liked them all, and then I could have just went to my like sections, and then they would be up. He he was talking about basically hiring a GM. He doesn't have his lieutenant yet, basically. Uh, Bloom had O'Halloran. Uh, Dave Dombrowski had Mike Hazen uh, for a while, and... Breslow essentially said that he wanted to wait until, you know, the season was underway to evaluate his own, you know, performance and then see where his blind spots were. And blind spots was something that he said. And then from there, he'll bring in someone who appropriately will complement, you know, what what he's trying to do. So it's just another admission that, you know, I'm not... I'm probably not where I need to be right now as an executive. Thoughts on Breslow? I mean, why would we expect him to be there, right? And, you know, this is month four of the job, and he's never had a position, uh, I guess, of the seniority yet to date. Um, it's really hard for me to get on on Breslow at this point just because he is so new. Um, you know, as much as we would like to be able to point a finger and, you know, kind of – shake a fist at. I don't think he's necessarily the guy. I think the Red Sox have painted themselves into such a corner that whoever took this job had to be literally perfect or go out and spend the farm to get players that we know, like, and love. And so, you know, obviously I think Breslow probably had grand ideas of making splashy moves or savvy negotiations and trades to be able to bring talent into the organization, revitalize the team and, you know, get us kind of ready to go. 
and that just didn't materialize. But I do give him credit for owning up to it, right? You know, he hasn't shied away from it, much like Bloom. They're kind of taking it on the chin. They're doing their media availability. They're answering questions. They're doing their interviews. And at this moment in time, that's that's all we can really ask for them is, is to wear it like real individuals. Um, you know, if nothing else, I think they owe it to us as – uh, fans of this team and, you know, as members of the organization to be able to own up to their performance. Um, and, you know, I think that might be the ball player that's still left in them to, to kind of go and do that, right? If you give up three runs in the bottom of the eighth or ninth inning, you got to do your media availability after the game and you got to wear it and you got to talk about it. Um, and, you know, I, hopefully we kind of get that that lane of clarity out of Breslow uh, throughout the the tenure that he has here in Boston. But, you know, we'll see what happens with Epstein. Maybe that's a little complimentary or, you know, a bit of advice over the shoulder, whatever you want to call it, whatever that senior advisory role is going to be. But it's it's really difficult to hammer one guy who has to be picture perfect every time without knowing what the direction of the ownership is, right? You know, it was Chris Sale in Chicago, for that matter, right? Garrett Cole this last year in New York you know that you had to throw eight, seven, eight shutout innings. And if you give up two runs, you're probably going to lose that game, right? You know, some of those Roy Halladay starts in in Toronto where guys had to be picture perfect um, or they're taking a loss. And it, it kind of seems like that's the place that Breslow has to be in right now. He's got financial constraints. He's got prospects that he can't move. And yet he's still trying to figure out how to, you know, field a ball club with star level talent. And it's, you know, uh, almost a mission impossible. Another uh, quote from Breslow, and, and this again, it just pisses me off. It's just, it's just words that he's spewing out of his mouth, and you know, it relates to it relates to spending. You know, on pitching, he says, "quote The vision that we have in the direction that we're heading is what's dictating the spend, and not the other way around." Like what? What does that mean? And then he goes on and says, so if the opportunity present themselves that align with this longer term health, it's certainly something that we'll explore. Like, it's almost like you may as well just put a teleprompter in front of him with the same crap he said over and over and over again all season long. Like, just explain this to me. The vision that we have in the direction that we're heading is what's dictating the spend. What's the direction that we're heading? <laughs> where, where are we going? I just don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense whatsoever. I mean, everybody can't see it because it's an audio platform, but my body language has gotten is just deteriorating through the course of this episode. Um, I mean, the direction that we're heading has to be up, right? It can't be down. We're five out of five, right? We're a last place team. We've been a last place team and we're going to continue to be a last place team until we make an investment into this organization and into this team. I know we've made off field organizations. We're investing in the players. We're investing in the youth. Great. Sign them. Bayo and Cassis haven't had significant contract extension talks. So I don't, I agree with you, Derry. Like I think you and I have butted heads in episodes past between being a realist and being an optimist. And 
I've got no life to stand on. Uh, you know, there is there is no island. There is no place I can hide with my optimism. There is no reason for optimism right now. Because if you were to say, hey, look, we're not going to sign the free agents. We're going to invest in Casas. We're going to invest in Bayo, you know, Rafaela, um, Abreu, whatever. Then I could be like, all right, you know what? We're taking a risk. We're going to try to rebuild it a different way. We're going to try to do, you know, kind of the Braves model and then sprinkle in additional talent when we need to get it to push us over the edge. Sure. But that's not what we're doing right now. And and it's, uh, I don't know. Alex Cora, they asked him if he's disappointed that they only got Giolito. <laughs> and Alex Cora, in a very smart very veteran manager like way just said, well, the off season's not over yet. <laughs> like that's the ultimate deflect. Like go, go talk to Breslow. I'm not in control of that. You know, I, I, he's, I'm not going to be working for him in another year. So I'll just, I'll just throw him under the bus. That's it. And here's the other thing. We haven't given our win projections yet. We do that, you know, every year. That's just one of the, spring training milestone things that we do. And, you know, I'll, I'll wait for Montgomery and Snell to come off the market before we finally give those. I think we can agree that there's no other impact signing out there. Maybe Clevenger if, but I'm skeptical, but you look at the fact that we signed Giolito, you've put essentially a ton of pressure on him a guy who's just trying to figure it out, who's just trying to be a you know a relatively top end pitcher, a number one or a number two. You're putting all the pressure in the world on him, and at this point, what was the point of even signing him? To me, it looks like the point was, well, let's you know let's revitalize him, let's get him back to where he was, and then get a hall of prospects in July. But that's, that's all I can make sense of it. Why are you, why are you paying $19 million a year on a reclamation project? If you're not, if you're not going to invest in other areas of the team. I mean, it, it kind of feels like a tied them over type move now, right? Uh, you know, can you imagine how restless this organization and fan base, or sorry, this fan base would be if the organization had held Pat and didn't really make any moves except for getting off of Chris Sale and Alex Verdugo? You know, we would be foaming at the mouth even more than we already are. Um, but, you know, if if the offseason uh, program that they've got them on, you know, the developmental work or you know bailey can find something tweak something and we can flip them for some prospects at the trade deadline then maybe you can call it a win but even then you know it's it's going back to what you said terry you know the team's punting um which is really ironic because everything that's coming out of the organization is this team's going to be competitive they're going to fight they're going to be in every game you're going to see guys you know want it like they've never wanted it before and it's like i don't want this front office and this organization to put any of the attention on the players. Um, you know, at this point in time, unless I see the players punt on the game themselves, I'm giving the players a pass. It, for me, I find it very difficult for them to stay motivated and for them to, to want to go out and put their livelihoods on the line for an organization that isn't giving them the same uh, deference. 
Cora also fielded questions today about his future, and it sounds like it really feels like he's not coming back at this point. And you and I personally aren't Alex Cora guys. I don't know. Maybe Micah might be the most supportive of Cora, but at the same time, I don't get the impression retaining him as a must, you know, well, I guess we can ask him that on future shows, but generally we're not an Alex Cora crew and he probably will be the highest. He'll get a record breaking contract. Um, what's his name there? Craig council signed with left the brewers to sign with the Cubs. That's a record contract. Five, uh, let's see five years, $40 million. So he's getting $8 million a year. Essentially what a mid-market player might get, <laughs> you know, an outfielder type player. Um, so at the end of the day, I mean, I don't think he really cares. Like he's like, I'm going to get paid and I'm probably going to a team who's a lot more deeply committed to winning. And the number one team that's going to be basically leading the way in the rumor mill is probably going to be the Dodgers. I mean, Dave Roberts has had a very embattled journey, you know, throughout his tenure as the Dodgers manager, most notably, you know, with some playoff exits, you know, they've kind of underachieved in, in certain seasons, but what's your read on Cora? You know, I've, I think I've defended a lot of Red Sox players and, and management uh, for a long time. And I've been a staunch anti Cora guy. I was never really um, a fan. And even I tweeted out today with the news, you know, when I saw the clip of, of Cora saying, you know, you know, let's just focus on this year, yada, yada, essentially, like you said, you know, hinting that he might not be back. And I was like, why would he, right? Why would he come back to this organization, to this, you know, uh, fire? And I can't blame him for not wanting to be back, right? You know, all of these guys have such an insanely high competitive drive and desire to win, you know, as competitive as any of us think we might be, you know, it, it pales in comparison to athletes at this level and managers and, you know, if you're going to work and you're living and dying 162 times a year and the organization isn't doing the same for you, it's just, I, I can't blame anybody for wanting to get away from this. Um, it's, it's incredibly disappointing. And I hope, you know, I hope that he's able to go somewhere else. Maybe we trade him and get something back as well. And, you know, maybe we can flip it like that. Who knows? I don't even know if you can trade managers in baseball. Um, but, I, I don't blame him in the slightest. Uh, if he wants to get out and wants to get off the ship, by all means, you know, I, I, I wish him the best. I'll thank you for thank him for his time here um, in, in Boston. But good luck. I don't know. <laughs> you know, the, the interesting thing here is if the team is bad and, and I think we all expect it to be. DraftKings has the Red Sox over under being at 80.5. And I posted that on social media 
and everyone's Take saying right now yeah exactly <laughs> grab it now before, pause the episode go get it <laughs> before they drop it to like 73 and a half you know what i mean <laughs> so but so vegas isn't expecting much from the red Sox, and the general vibe on social media is that it will be a lot lower than that, especially if Lucas Giolito just can't figure it out. Then you're, you might be upper sixties at that point. It's hard to lose, you know, so many games like that, but it is. But the interesting thing here, Cora had to be careful all of last year. He couldn't throw bloom under the bus, you know, especially with the defensive lapses, that was like the major narrative last year. What we were losing so many games on bad defense and they just couldn't figure it out. And Cora at the end of the game would have to address why Devers was so bad and why Yoshida was bad and why Casas was bad at times. And, and, you know, they kind of had a revolving door at second base even, and so uh, the infield's probably just as bad. I mean, Devers, Casas. I think Casas will have a better year. He's the one guy I think will. I think if the team is good, unexpectedly good, I, I bet Devers will have a better defensive year. If it's a bad year, I don't think he's going to care. And he'll probably be one of the worst defensive third basemen in the league again. And Vaughn Grissom, the knock on him from Atlanta was not very good defense. He, he had a negative defensive war. I can't remember what his defensive runs saved were, but not great. And they were toying with making him a left fielder. And so I think it's reasonable not to expect some great defense there at second base. And, and to be fair, I think he was playing mostly short uh, with, with the Braves, but so what's his attitude going to be when for, you know, they've lost their fifth game in the last eight days and there's some defensive lapses and the, the media is jawing at him trying to, you know, get some level of accountability. I just don't know if he's going to care. Last year, he had to care. Like he didn't want to be fired coming into this season. And the other interesting thing is that towards late August, early September, I think Bloom was fired on September 6th or so. But Cora was a lot more agitated at times with the umpires and, you know, uncharacteristically more frustrated. And my read on that was, well, he's on the hot seat. This could be it for him. And I don't think he really knew what his future was until maybe a week or so after Bloom got fired. I think Sam Kennedy finally gave him some assurances that he would be back, but he doesn't have that anymore. He doesn't have to worry about that anymore. So, you know, I'm not an Alex Cora guy, but I would love it if he did take some shots at the front office, if he did take some shots at Breslow, if he did say, I'm sick of losing, I'm sick of having a trash roster essentially every year. You know, Dombrowski gave him everything he needed to win that 2018 World Series. Good free agents, good additions throughout the season. Uh, you know, Steve Pierce, Nathan Avaldi for starters. I just, I, I hope Cora gets more candid this year. That's what I want to see. 
I think it would be great. You know, um, we're going to get that Netflix documentary. Uh, you know, hopefully something spicy comes out of that. Some of these sports ones recently have been, you know, kind of duds. Uh, but, you know, a chance to see behind the curtain, see the inner workings of this team, I think are good. Even though Cora, I think it was Cora, expressed uh, reservations about giving all access to, to the locker room. Uh, which, you know, I don't blame them as well. It could be a, a giant distraction. And it just seems like this organization is focused on any and everything except for the baseball team, uh, which is, you know, undoubtedly uh, causing con- some concern. In hindsight, knowing now that this was a, a dud of an offseason, it almost would have been better if the Red Sox did fire him. I mean, why not? I mean, how much worse would this offseason be? <laughs> and I think Cora, one of the reasons why he was frustrated last year and, and a reason why he wanted to keep his job because he probably sensed that maybe Bloom wasn't coming back and maybe we would have a renewed commitment to winning. And now that we're mid-February and none of that happened... I, I, I don't know why they they didn't just fire him to to eliminate the distraction. That's the elephant in the room all season long. the The best thing Alex Cora could say to the media to Red Sox ownership is, "I'm done talking about my contract. I'm done talking about it until the end of the season. I don't even want to negotiate because you know behind the scenes they can still negotiate a little bit." <laughs> if they wanted to, despite the quotes. But I think that's the best way for Alex Cora to, to squash it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no way around it, right? You know, uh, a lot of players have said, hey, I'm not doing any of this discussion once the season starts. And, you know, just kind of takes that storyline, you know, takes the wind out of that those sails. And I, I think for the sake of any sort of positive hope of this season, you got to do as much elimination of of controllable drama you can and that would certainly be a, a, among the top of the list let's just say by mid-may the red Sox. i don't know how many games you play by then probably maybe 40 or so let's say they're i don't know 15 and 25 that's bad that's 10 games under six weeks into the season and the red Sox fire alex cora Who's the winner, though? Who's who's really the winner in that case? <laughs> Alex Cora. Alex Cora, absolutely. He doesn't <laughs> he doesn't have to deal with the controversy, the the crap that the media is going to throw at him. Alex Cora, despite not being popular with us, is very popular with the press corps. Like, they all like Alex Cora, so and he's widely respected throughout the league, even even after being a part of. Probably the most controversial thing in the history of of baseball, the most controversial scandal, I should say, Uh, and having a very big role in that, by the way, Um, still one of the most respected baseball guys there is, and yeah, so it's going to be a clown show this year, but... We don't have to uh, continue with the misery tonight. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap? Grab the under if you can find it, if it's legal in your state. Uh, be safe, be smart. Hopefully Vertigo stays away from you. 
Yes, I've never had it, and uh, I hope I never will. I've had the flu really bad, and you know, been a little woozy, I guess, for lack of a better term. But uh, but yeah, maybe maybe this team will give me vertigo uh, at some point this season. So yeah. I will end it on that awkward note. Everybody have a good Wednesday. Probably won't be back till at least Sunday unless a development does happen. So uh, everybody enjoy this early part. I can't, I don't even know what day we play those two dumb colleges and you know, the automatic like, wins. Uh, like Northeastern and, and something else. BC, I think. I don't mm-hmm. know. But whatever. I, I hope we lose those games. That would uh that would definitely uh you know be a little jarring and uh we'll see what happens. Take care.